The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Want to become best friends with the single most powerful person in the country? Whether she's a Gucci girl, Prada professional, coach queen, or target trendsetter, we'll untie the purse strings and give you the inside track on today's woman. How to capture her attention, grow her loyalty, and create such enthusiasm about your company or product that she spreads the word with her friends and family. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Retan, senior principal at Carmichael Lynch Spong as she chats with those in the know so your business can grow. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Here's your host, Maria Retan. Good afternoon. Welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan, and it's so great to be with you today, and I'm glad you could take some time out to join me for the next half hour. You can catch Purse Strings every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time, and each and every week, you're going to learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman. Of course. Well, first up, I want to talk a little bit about the lonely state of motherhood. Mom Central Consulting, who we've had on this program before, released results of a survey conducted a little bit earlier this year, really trying to understand mom's online and offline social habits, specifically their attitudes toward networking, community, and a sense of self. And there was some really surprising data out of that survey. In fact, they found that moms of all ages are lonely and really use the internet to form new friendships based on what they see as shared interest and life events and parenting support. Some key trends that Stacey DeBroff, who's the CEO and president of Mom Central Consulting, really pointed out is that moms lack a best friend or a strong inner circle. They're so busy with daily activities, running here and there, and their increasingly hectic schedules keep them from really forming those close relationships that can oftentimes leave her feeling very isolated and lonely. And it's really tough on moms with young children and moms of teens, um, especially if they've kind of exited the traditional workforce to stay at home, you know, they a lot of those friends were actually in the workplace, and so transitioning uh, to this new life with infants and and young children uh, can again be very isolating. In fact, Stacy um, kind of assimilates this mom of today and and kind of compares her to a 1950s mom, and I certainly can't remember a 1950s mom. I doubt you can either, but. Apparently, these women really, at a time in their life, weren't feeling the everyday support. Um, you know, neighbors were getting busier as people were going uh, to work. Um, if they were in the workforce, they were probably the minority in the workforce. And they, they were really challenged both inside the home and outside the home at that time. So when it comes to marketers, what can we do? Well, we can really try to help mom by uh, giving her a, a deeper sense of loyalty from her brands. You know, they these moms may lack a best friend or a strong inner circle, but brands can really pull them together and, and really spur their interest in sharing 
um, interest online. So maybe uh, give them a reason to um, talk about their enthusiasm for brands, especially through social networks. Also in the real world, as more and more of us are getting together to um, share a brand experience through experiential marketing, it also can be a way to kind of uh, key into her desire for um, for relationships. We already know that sites like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Gather are, are places where moms can find like-minded individuals and, and other moms who are looking for a sense of community. So something to keep in mind. You know, Baby Center um, also released a fairly recent study taking a look at moms and social media and found that 63% of moms are using social media and it's really grown uh, 462% in the last three years. 462%. That is really mind-boggling. In fact, 91% of moms uh, polled by Baby Center report that they never leave the house without a cell phone. And they're also more than 300% more likely to use that mobile phone to go on to the web. Pretty amazing. So, clearly, um, social networks... Social media is a, is a big outlet for moms. It is an opportunity for her to engage with the rest of the world and create um, virtual communities in which she can belong, something that we marketers definitely need to keep our eye on. Um, I know we're coming, becoming much, much more savvy about that, but it's something that we're definitely going to need to be focusing on. So our post profile for today is the Target Trendsetter. Each and every week, we do take a deep dive into a specific consumer segment, and today our focus is on mom. There's more than 9 million Target Trendsetters with a median income of $90,000, median age of 40. These are college graduates, homemakers. Most of them see themselves as conservative, hopeful, and entrepreneurial. They're putting their family first. They're shopping all the time, they say, seeking out deals, though, not particularly brands. And children are heavily influencing what they shop for. And, what they, and, and how they shop. They look at home as a priority, um, but money management continues to be a struggle. Um, they hate the idea of being in debt, but more and more of them are finding themselves there. So where are they shopping? Well, the Target trendsetter is, of course, at Target, Toys R Us, Gap, Dress Barn, Old Navy, and Kohl's. She's shopping cosmetics like MAC, Prescriptives, Lancome, and Maybelline. Shoes like Skechers, jeans like Mud, uh, writers by Lee, uh, things like that, and designers like Tommy Hilfiger um, and Gloria Vanderbilt. So if you're a marketer, how do you connect with the target trendsetter? Well, she's reading magazines such as Family Fun, Parenting, Parents, Real Simple, Red Book, and First for Women. She's online a lot, and we'll be hearing uh, more about her online activities. We saw a little bit of that already today, uh, but we also are going to be able to uh, connect with that mom via cable. Uh, she's at HGTV, Disney, Nick, um, E, Lifetime, and Food Network. Well, my guest today talks a lot about motherhood, and she knows of what she speaks. Uh, Kristen Mashka is the past president and natural, national spokesperson for Mothers and More, which is a national organization dedicated to improving the lives of mothers. And today, she actually owns her own management consulting practice. But she's also an author of a brand new book. The title is incredibly fascinating. This is not how I thought it would be, remodeling motherhood to get the lives we want today. So Kristen will be back in just a moment to talk about mothers and their roles and how it may not have changed as much as we might have thought and what she personally did about it. 
Purse Strings returns in just a second. Okay, time for something we can all relate to. Shopping. Purse Strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. Want to learn the biggest asset to driving online success? Let me introduce you to my expert advisor, PixelSilk. PixelSilk is a robust content management system built on a foundation to create online marketing success. It's the only content management system that offers keyword-specific SEO advice, can integrate with your shopping cart system, and offer multi-site management. PixelSilk frees my time while making my company's website easy to manage and promote. Even better, PixelSilk has been embraced by the SEO community. I'm Bruce Clay, and PixelSilk is the first CMS I have ever felt good about recommending. With this winning combination, we have all the tools we need. PixelSilk.com, the ultimate in SEO-driven CMS. Hey, have you got that number for Jerry's Pizza? Look it up on LocalPages.com. LocalPages.com. Well, what if I wanted a business number in Miami? LocalPages.com. Can people find your business online? Be seen with LocalPages.com on every local listing in all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, MSN, and Ask. With over 6 billion quality searches a month and bids starting as low as one cent, get connected with local consumers at the exact moment that they're looking for you. San Francisco, Green Bay, London. I told you. LocalPages.com. List your business on LocalPages.com now and get $100 in free local advertising. LocalPages.com, bringing your neighborhood to you. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit conversioncritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.conversioncritic.com. It's time to start jamming and spamming again with the princes of PageRank, the heroes of HTML, the sultans of search, SEO rock stars, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, only on webmasterradio.fm. Her Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And welcome back to Purse Strings. Joining me today is Kristen Mashka, author of the book, This Is Not How I Thought It Would Be, Remodeling Motherhood to Get the Lives We Want Today. Kristen, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Maria. Oh, I'm really excited to have you on. You know, I got a I got the book in advance of this interview, and I was reading through it, and I have to say, you really captured what I thought was a, a very, very honest look at motherhood, being a mom of two myself. You know, you don't know what you're getting into when you, when you decide that you're going to have this beautiful baby. You kind of do have this sense of what motherhood should be, and clearly, clearly, we kind of set it, you set it on its ear. But before we get into the specifics of the book... First, I have to recognize that you're from Minnesota, and that's where I'm based. And um, you're also a consultant on organizational change, which is a which is a great combination. Clearly, makes you a great mother and, <laughs> and good at what you do. But first, I have to ask you, where are you from in, in Minnesota? I was uh, raised in Mankato, Minnesota, in southern Minnesota. Graduated from high school there. My parents are are still there, so I visit uh, southern Minnesota quite frequently. And I have a sister in the Twin Cities as well. So very deep roots in uh, Minnesota. In fact, I was back there in October on the book tour and, and had a great reception from so many people. 
Oh, well, it's it's great. Clearly, um, you know, you've got those good mis- Midwestern roots. And I'm, I'm wondering if you're even brave enough to come back now that you've been gone for a while, if you're brave to come back now when it's below zero degrees. I, I have to admit that I, I try to come in October and June <laughs> to Minnesota <laughs> and try to avoid it at most other times of the year. So my daughter's been back once or twice to see snow, but that that's about it. My blood has gotten pretty thin now that I live in Pasadena, California for so many years. Yeah, who could really blame you, Kristen? I would want to stay in Pasadena as well. In fact, can I come visit you? Because right now it's below zero. (laughs) Come on out. Come on out. That sounds great. Well, let's get to the book because, as I said, I was I had the pleasure of reading it prior to this interview, and you know, you really did a great job of knocking down some motherhood myths, especially for those women out there like I was that thought that you know motherhood was was really one thing, and we kind of had this perfect vision of motherhood, but in fact, it's in reality, it's really quite different. And and many of us, I think, sometimes feel a little bit disenchanted or worse, feel a little bit duped. Um, talk a little bit about why you decided to take on this book? Well, I think it's partly because I think I had all three of those feelings, the disenchanted or worse or feeling duped. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, the title of the book, This Is Not How I Thought It'd Be, is literally what I found myself saying and thinking to myself over and over. I I, I just found that there was a big disconnect between the way I thought motherhood in the 21st century would be and the way it turned out to be. Our modern egalitarian marriage that my husband and I had turned into something out of Leave it to Beaver just overnight. I had this successful career that suddenly came to an abrupt halt very unexpectedly, um, which meant I lost a lot of things about my identity and my colleagues, my paycheck. You know, I, I was actually one of those who kept my own name when I got married, but then suddenly it was gone because now I was Kate's mom. So, you know, my identity disappeared. And so I wrote the book to explain what I learned about why that happens to mothers and to fathers, quite frankly, and to provide some of the tools uh, mothers need to remodel motherhood to get the lives they thought they might have or at least get a lot closer. Well, and I found the book to be incredibly personal. I, what, did it feel good to write that book? I mean, was it, did it feel somewhat cathartic, or was it was it difficult to get all of that out on paper? It, it was a little bit of both, uh, both cathartic and difficult. I, I, I felt compelled to write it to tell this story, and so it was cathartic in the sense of being able to really sit down and tell the whole story, both my story and the pieces that I'd learned from mothers across the country over eight or nine years of talking about these issues and what happens. And, of course, one gains perspective from hindsight. So writing it, even the story about myself and talking it over with my husband again, gave me an even deeper understanding and ability to articulate what happened um, that I had quite gained before. The difficult part, I think, was that it was difficult to realize and allow myself to write the personal piece of this. I knew the academic side of this. I'd read stacks and stacks of books, but I really wanted this to be like talking to a friend over coffee, which means I really had to go back to some very difficult times in my life and even in my marriage, and quite often my mind and my pen just didn't want to go back to those times. And so I really struggled to figure out ways to keep the pen moving and keep it personal. And the reaction I'm getting from readers, I think, uh, is a testament to that hard work because they often say that they find themselves laughing, nodding, and crying (laughs) at different places (laughs) in the book. So I think they really get a sense of knowing me and knowing my family. And I think that's the best way to learn is is through stories. And, And that's why I chose to write it that way, as difficult as it was at times. 
Oh, I'm sure. I, I'm sure it had to be be challenging, but at the end of it, I'm sure you were probably all the better for having gone through the process, I would imagine. And and for those of us who read the book, I, I found the tools that you talk about to be really helpful as well. You you talked a little bit a minute ago about remodeling motherhood, and, and you, you actually pull out some tools for people to use to do exactly that. Can you share with listeners today about those tools? Sure. There are four tools that I talk about in the book that sort of go through the book. Build a balcony, um, uh, sorry, build a balcony, draft a blueprint, remodel your life, and remodel our house. Um, And starting with the build a balcony, uh, that really means doing the work to take the balcony perspective, stepping back far enough on what's really going on in our lives to get a little bit of perspective. I I don't know about anybody else, but when I became a mother, I was so much a part of all the drama going on in my own life and in my family. It was very difficult to step back and sort of get the bigger picture. And so building a balcony is really about um, how do you get, get that opportunity to step back. And one of the best ways to do that is to talk with other mothers and other mothers and fathers. And for me, one of the best tools was being part of the organization Mothers and More, which is a national organization um, that really gives mothers a safe space to talk about the reality of their experience, which really helps us then step back from our own drama and think about what are the larger patterns there and how can I do things differently. Then the other tools, drafting a blueprint, is really about identifying the beliefs that you really want to live by um, and asking, well, what if I did that, what would I be doing differently? Because a lot of times we get stuck in doing things according to subconscious assumptions or cultural assumptions that we have, and it takes a minute to step back and say, well, shoot, if I really believe that mothers and fathers are both capable of doing childcare and family work, how would I behave differently than I'm behaving now? And then once you've thought about those what-ifs, the last two will two tools come into play, remodeling your life, which is really picking one or maybe two things to experiment with um, on a new uh, blueprint, and find experimenting and seeing, does that fit better? Because until we take action, a lot of times it's really hard to make change even in our, in our minds. And then the last tool, remodel our house, is really about experimenting some, with doing something that helps other people or society around us change how they think about mothers and fathers and families today. Because I really found that a lot of times the, when I went to speak about what I believed in and tried to challenge other people's assumptions about mothers or fathers or money or marriage, that's when I became even stronger in my own beliefs and able to remodel my own life. So I think it's important to do both, think about what can I change in my own life and how can I help the world around me change a little bit too. And that's really difficult to do. I have to say, Kristen, I, in, in doing the research for this show today, I ran across two articles that I found to be pretty stunning. One was from Market Watch about how with all the layoffs and people losing their jobs and many of them choosing to stay home to raise kids, that the government really sees these individuals as having no value. And I'm like, right. wait a minute. What do you mean they have no value? Well, they don't. They don't um, contribute to the GDP. And then there was another article from the Chicago Tribune, which again, this really irritates me because I'm a working mom, and so I take all this very personally. But it was a study, a British study, that showed that working moms have unhealthier kids. And I just, you know, you look at these things in society, all this extraneous information. And, you know, as, as hard as we may work as individuals to try to remodel that house, uh, remodel my life, remodel our house, society isn't necessarily moving down the stream with us. What, what can we do about that? 
Uh, well, I think you're right, and it is. It's a very, it's very difficult to fight that stream, especially some of the assumptions you cited there. I mean, even in the, even in the underneath the studies you talked about, there's, there's sort of this assumption that caring for family isn't really work. It's just what mothers do, and it doesn't have any economic or social value. When, of course, I think if we all think about it, we know that that's not the case. That even unpaid work, caring for family, has a lot of value. And the same thing too. This assumption that, first of all, that mothers are the only ones that take care of kids. So, you know, the study you talked about really sounds like it only looked at whether the mothers were employed and how that impacted the kids. Yes. But, of course, a That's child exactly is part right. of a whole family unit of some sort, right, usually. And so, you know, you're looking at, oh, okay, if mother is doing something, then that necessarily is bad for everybody else, and somebody who's a, a mother who's employed is selfish. So those assumptions are out there, and I think what we can do is we can think about where are the instances in our own lives we can challenge some of those assumptions. So, for example, um, I've had fathers talk to me about how people talk to them and say, oh, isn't it nice that you're babysitting while mother is out of town, right? Of course, nobody would ever say that to a mother who was with her children. And they, the fathers calmly tend to respond, no, actually, I'm parenting. Right, just to mm-hmm. get that language shift for people that know what I'm really doing is parenting, um, and I've had the same instance where I've had to um, answer questions like, "What do you do?" And whether I'm employed or not, I tried to answer that question about what do you do in a way that describes all of what I do as work. So I usually talk about the family work that I do, caring for my family, which my my husband does as well. And I talk about any employment or any volunteer work that I do so that people get the sense that what you do is a larger category of things um, and different kinds of work. So I think little bit by little bit, um, all those conversations that we have uh, add up um, and help to challenge the assumptions of the people around us. Do you think that society does take a, a very distinct look at um, working and stay-at-home moms? Do, they think, do you think society looks at us differently depending on what our quote-unquote work is during the day? I, I think so, and, and the unfortunate part is that we both, uh, both mothers who are employed and those who aren't employed become sort of victims of these outdated cultural assumptions just in different ways. So even though, uh, so for example, I know when I was not employed, um, I went to a college alumni event one night and uh, started introducing myself, and people would say, what do you do? And I would say, I'm caring for our six-month-old infant. And it was as if I dropped into the floor and became invisible because nobody wanted to talk to me, and there was this assumption that because I wasn't employed and doing, you know, real work, I wasn't interesting or contributing. It was sort of the, you know, stay-at-home moms are eating bonbons and watching soap operas kind of stereotype, mm-hmm. right? And on the flip side, I've, there are instances when I've been employed and been at the park and have mothers um, next to me who, who don't know my employment situation sort of say, gee, I just can't understand why a mother would, uh, would um, hire somebody else to take care of their kids. Um, you know, why would you even have kids then? And, you know, it just hits me in the heart because the assumption underneath is unless mother is taking care of the kids 24-7, she's being selfish and neglectful, Right. And so I think that what happens is, whatever, whatever our employment situation is, we're both victims of these outdated cultural assumptions just in different ways. And so we're having the same experience of trying to live in a society that doesn't really fit our lives, but because of our employment situation, it's a little bit different. And I think that all, of, all mothers really need to get on the same page, that we're really sort of fighting the same fight, which is really against these cultural assumptions about what we should be. 
Absolutely. Well, and I know you talk a lot about mental mental maps in the book. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit of, um, more about how we might be able to start breaking those down. And uh, some of what you've talked about a little bit um, just a minute ago kind of starts attacking that. But I think there's more to it. So more sure. uh, from Kristen when we come back in just a moment. Okay, time for something we can all relate to. Shopping. Her strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. Charles, come on up and tell us about the great ROI we're getting from RevenueWire. Thank you. Since I signed up with RevenueWire, conversions have increased dramatically. RevenueWire has an integrated shopping cart called SafeCart that offers highly accurate sales tracking, boosting our conversions through the roof. And now that they've added multiple international currencies to SafeCart, we're looking forward to seeing significant increases in our overseas sales of PC utility software from LavaSoft, PC Tools, Pareto Logic, and Avonquest. With up to 75% commission, real-time sales tracking, free in-depth sales analytics and reporting tools, campaign optimization resources, and now weekly payments for top-performing affiliates, our sales are climbing higher and higher, thanks to RevenueWire. Find out more at RevenueWire.com. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Revenues can come from many different sources. Are you capturing additional revenue from your payment processor or leaving money on the table? Lytle and Company can help you grow your top-line revenue. Lytle and Company provides payment processing and consultative merchant services for multi-channel retailers, along with Internet and direct response businesses who sell directly to consumers. Lower the total cost of payment acceptance while improving your business processes and chargeback management with Lytle and Company's innovative reporting and analytics features. Lytle and Company, the card's not present, but we are. Find out more at Lytle, L-I-T-L-E dot com. Press this Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Her Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And we're back. Joining me today is Kristen Mashka, author of the book, This Is Not How I Thought It Would Be, Remodeling Motherhood to Get the Lives We Want Today. And we've been spending our time today talking a little bit about the tools that we could use to remodel motherhood, like building a balcony, drafting a blueprint, remodeling your life, and remodeling our house, and what that really means. And also societal's kind of uh, impressions or preconceived notions of, of who we are and what our roles are, depending on if we're working or we're staying at home. And Kristen, you call these preconceived notions mental maps, and we know they're incredibly hard to overcome. In fact, you shared a little bit earlier how you attempt to talk about all your work, even your work at home, in the home, and outside the home with volunteer work. And yet it's it's hard for, for many people to view us in, in roles outside of the stereotypical ones. Um, because this is purse strings and because we're marketing to women, I have to imagine, too, that it's tough for marketers to look beyond those stereotypes. And I'm curious... Uh, what you think about how we might be able to start to do that. 
Yeah, I think you're right. It is it is hard for marketers to look behind beyond those stereotypes, and some of them are very rational from their point of view. I think sometimes because you know it's probably the case that uh, mothers buy most of the juice boxes, right? And so you market juice to to women, um, but it can become very frustrating um, and very ingrained in sort of the self fulfilling prophecy about who does what um, when it comes to to family work. I think some of the ways that we break them down is we start. We start with ourselves, um, and one of the things that I recommend in the book is to make a point of hanging out with mothers who are in a variety of different situations. So, for example, we tend to group with people who are like us. So, for example, mothers who are not employed tend to group together. Mothers who are employed tend to group together. And what that does is it just sort of reinforces the assumptions we might have about the other group <laughs> as opposed to really getting in a group where we're seeing all the different ways in which motherhood and family family life can unfold today. And so Mothers and More, the organization I mentioned earlier, is a good example of that, where mothers come together from all different walks of life, different employment situations, different stages of their child's lives, and get multiple perspectives. And I think that's a really good way to challenge some of those assumptions. The other thing that I've made a point of doing is becoming what I call a mother mythbuster. Uh, maybe you're familiar with my, my daughter's favorite show is Mythbusters on, on television, uh, yeah. you know, the science mm-hmm. guys. But I think we can all be our own mother mythbusters, which really just means paying attention to, noticing, and gently challenging some of the assumptions around you. So, for example, um, for a long time, I was the one who would always get the emails uh, or phone calls about play dates for our daughter. And, it, of course, it would always be the mothers emailing me. And so there would be five of us on an email, right, planning play dates. Well, I just sort of quietly started adding all of the fathers <laughs> to the emails because I wanted to make it clear that, especially in our household, and I think in a lot of households, um, you know what, dad needs to take responsibility for this too, and he's part of this whole um, idea of taking care of the family as a shared responsibility. So that's that's one example. Another example is sort of changing the language that we use. Um, so, for example, I used to say a lot of times, you know, oh, I signed my daughter up for, you know, summer camp at the museum. Well, technically, I might have filled out the form in that instance, but my husband and I made the decision together. So I've switched to saying we a lot when I used to say I. And I think a lot of times mothers sort of take on this role of being responsible for everything, and we don't even notice the ways in which our language and our actions reinforce that we're the ones responsible for all of the family work. And that often prevents our husbands from sharing it or other family members. And then do you the, think the that last you, I was just thing, too, ask you mentioned quickly, the marketers, do you think, the use of the I think it's we? a great exercise with our kids to start getting them aware of how these stereotypes are embedded in commercials and marketing around us. My daughter is nine, and not too long ago, she was watching a commercial, um, and she said, Mommy, Mommy, come in here, you have to see this. And she showed me this commercial that she'd taped uh, for Juice, and it was this you know mother and child and the son at the park and talking about motherhood, and she paused the commercial, and she turned to me and she said, look, Mommy, they think only mommies take care of children, but that's not true. And so I had this opportunity to talk about the power of marketing and messaging and which stereotypes, you know, might be embedded in messages that we might not believe in in our family. And so I think that's an opportunity, too, with our children to engage in looking at how these things are embedded in the messages around us. Do you think the use of the we word, as you said, when you said I, we sign up our child for summer camp, do you feel like that, that your husband picks up on that and, and therefore feels also an additional bit of responsibility? Is there kind of a, an engagement when you use that kind of word? 
Oh, absolutely. I, I think that um, for the two of us, at least, it's been a long journey to really get to the point where we felt we had shared ownership of the family work, and every little bit helped changing the language, um, you know, me letting go and getting out of the house and letting him do things his own way. All of those little pieces add up to the point where now he's the one reminding me to thaw, you know, the chicken for dinner. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a long journey because so many of the cultural assumptions put us in traditional roles, um, but every little bit helps, and the language in particular, I think is an important piece of the puzzle. Well, Kristen, unfortunately, we have run out of time. It's just been a pleasure having a fellow Minnesotan on the phone today. Thank you so much for that. And I wish you the best of luck with your book. For everybody out there, again, it's called This Is Not How I Thought It Would Be, Remodeling Motherhood to Get the Lives We Want Today. And people can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Borders Books, and even your own own website, right, remodelingmotherhood.com. That's correct. They can find it through RemodelingMotherhood.com, and I've got a special holiday offer right now where I've offered to um, personalize book plates for people who buy the book as gifts during the holiday season. So if you let me know by tomorrow, December 16th, that you've bought some copies for gifts, I'll ship out some personalized signed book plates to you. Fabulous. So everybody out there, you've got until tomorrow to go ahead and purchase your own copy and and get that fabulous incentive from Kristen. You can go right to RemodelingMotherhood.com to do that. Kristen, thanks so much. Oh, thank you for having me, Maria. It's been great. And and everybody, you can also check out Kristen's blog on that same website or connect with her via Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. So, Kristen, thanks to you, and thanks to George, my producer, for another great show today. And join me next week for another edition of Purse Strings. That's next Tuesday right here, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, thanks so much. Make it a great one. <laughs> 